you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Move the Sticks. DJ Bucky back with you. Buck, what's up, man? Another man is it's going. Uh, we are, like, getting closer and closer where it's, it's getting real. Like, the conversation that you have with your buddies about the draft and the league, some of them are still willing to engage. Others <laughs> have started to go dark. But that's kind of part of the process when we get up to the run-up to the draft. But uh, a few weeks away, I think, right now, DJ, I think it would be important to kind of tell everybody what teams are going through. Like, you got the last of these pro days, and now you got the visits. But we're almost about to come back in and have these final meetings where we mm-hmm. kind of, like, really solidify the board where the the background stuff, the character stuff comes in, the medical stuff comes in. That's the big and, one, the medical and, stuff. And some of your favorite players, when you open the board, you're like, hey – Where's my guy? Yeah, where you go? And you you find out he's on the mystery board. (laughs) He's on the board back there where we can't touch him for various reasons. And so it's a very interesting time, but it's one of those times that I think scouts look forward to. Yeah, on today's uh, pod, we're going to go through position by position, talk about um, who we have as a top player at each position, but also who we think could maybe be the surprise. And, and surprise in terms of could be the first player taken at that position, which could be a surprise, or maybe somebody that could go much earlier or much later than kind of maybe what some of the consensus is out there. Um, so th- that that's kind of the plan for today. But you mentioned kind of what's going on right now, Buck. For those that don't know, you know, all the scouts are out at pro days and those are wrapping up, finishing up. I think we have Stingley going today. I think Drake London might be going uh, next week, maybe. That'll probably mm-hmm. be the last one. Um, but so then you've got all that information from the pro days. Now the scouts will reconvene here probably in another week or so to kind of get the the final touches on the board to kind of put that where it needs to be. And as you mentioned, scouts are out and inside the building as the medical information is coming in and some of the psychological testing, some of the character stuff is is trickled in and you get all that stuff sorted out. You can come into that draft room after not having been there, you know, since before the combine, and you can see what you remember that board looked like, and it can look a whole lot different. Um, and medical being the number one driver, um, and I, I'll get that stuff. I usually talk to a couple teams who will kind of clue me in on that on uh, on the medical stuff. I never share that. I don't ever want to. I'm mm-hmm. not trying to damage anybody's stock. We root for all these kids, but I like to be aware if somebody's you know sliding on the draft. Yeah. Then you can ex- at that time. Then on TV, you kind of explain like, "Hey, the reason why this sixth overall player hasn't gone yet, and we're in the second round, is because there were some lingering medical questions." But I will say, my initial conversation uh, with personnel guy uh, yesterday or the day before, we uh, we kind of I set up a time like, "Hey, let's get a time to go over all the medical stuff." And he said, "You know, so far the stuff we have on all the top guys, there hasn't been anything." super alarming so maybe this is a year we don't have that that'd be great yeah no you would like to think that like that uh you you would hope for that uh mm-hmm. in a perfect world all the top prospects are clean and it now just becomes an evaluation on talent and fit how talented are they do they fit what we want to do let's rank them here when you have the medical stuff come into it or you have other character concerns come into it then it just muddies up the board and muddies up the process and so Hopefully, um, to to date, we haven't had many of those things that have come up, little things, but nothing like super major. Um, and so hopefully, hopefully we can avert some of the, the surprises that can pop up. Let's let's jump into it here. Let's go. Uh, let's go by position. And uh, you got your top fives. I got my list here. And I figure we kind of go who your top player is at the position. And then let's try and identify that one like surprise that's coming, whether it's a player that could be the first off the board or somebody could slide, like what's the, what's the unexpected. So let's start. I've got it kind of just sorted. So it's going to jump around from offense to defense, but let's start with the corners um, kind of going alphabetical here, looking at that position. So your number one corner is who Buck? Okay. Let me go down. I think sauce Garner is my number one corner. And I think everyone has kind of positioned him up there because of the length. Um, 
the the overall playing ability. Dude is really, really talented when you watch him play. He dominates uh, against the people that he's faced. He does a great job of really good nose-to-nose and eliminating and snuffing guys out on the perimeter. I like him personally because in talking to him, I feel like he's wired the right way to be a high-level player for a long time barring injury. This Mm -hmm. guy loves ball. He's serious about his preparation process. He has what we call that athletic arrogance that elite corners must have. But I think he's not um, kind of the outlier that's going to be problematic in terms of reigning. I think he'll play within the system and do those things. Uh, To me, he's he's, he's a favorite. I mean, I I just love everything about him, and I would expect him to play at a dominant level uh, fairly early in his career. Yeah, he's my he's my top guy too. He's my third overall player, and um, you know we've talked about the evaluation a lot. I would say I got a text from a buddy asking me uh, how would he compare to Jalen Ramsey, and I said, okay, well Jalen's more explosive. I would say uh, Jalen. What was the other thing I said on there? Jalen's just physically stronger. Like he's a yeah. stronger player and a more dynamic, explosive player. You know, Sauce ran four four one. But mm-hmm. Jalen Ramsey just he had even more juice in his body. Yeah, he was a it was he was a long jump champion in ACC maybe two times. Yeah, you know, yeah. like like he's a different he popping, explosive level. Yeah, he was popping twenty five or twenty six foot jumps, which speaks to his explosiveness. So that's what you talk about that that lower body, lower core explosion. Yeah, you see that, and you really see it when he strikes yep. to tackle. Like Good you can point. feel that um, in that. But Sauce is explosive and long enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like the comparison because that length is something because when you're not sauce is four, four is like super fast, but like yeah. if you're not fast, what length does is with technique, it allows you to stymie some of those faster guys. You get your hand in the chest early. You can control them. You can kind of understand how to play. You don't always have to be what we call in phase because the mm-hmm. length allows you to still swat away those balls because you're so, Long, similar to like how Josh Norman used to play in his prime, but Sauce to me is a plus. I don't want to say he is the safest of them all, but I think what we project him to be and what he's going to wind up being, I think that's it's going to be very very close. Yeah, I would say in his favor versus Jalen, I'd say he he finds and plays the ball a little bit better um, than Jalen did coming out. So that would yeah, be. I don't think Jalen. I don't think Jalen has a bunch of interceptions in his career yeah. without popping up his stats. Like I, don't, I never viewed him as a ball hawk, and it's a difference. He is an eraser more so than a ball. Yes. Hawk. You put him yes. on the guy, you don't have to worry about. Hey, man, we're gonna help you. We're gonna do this. You're locked up, and I think his strength is that. And I think what Jalen has done is he's added more tools to the toolbox because he can play outside and inside. I don't know if Sauce has that capability, but him being a dominant player on the outside is plenty good enough. Yeah, so that we've kind of we're on we're on the same page here. We're, we're reading from the same book about Sauce Gardner being the number one guy. So then now the question is, who could be the surprise in any any area of the draft of this position? Let me give you mine uh, so far. I think there's a little there's some there's not there's not consensus. It's a little bit of a polarizing player, but I have Kyir Elam from Florida. He was in my 40s. Mm-hmm. He's actually just outside my top 50 right now. So he's literally literally my number one corner outside the 50 but there's love on the streets for him and i would not be shocked if he ended up you know working his way into round one or found his way into round one so that one for me would be maybe a little bit of a surprise to keep an eye on would be elam from florida who's you know six one and a half 191 pounds ran four three nine really really physical and press i just thought he was a little bit tight and i thought some of the transition stuff um he struggled but um that's that's one to me i would say as a surprise at that position that's one i'd keep an eye on yeah, no, I, I think he is he's he's intriguing, right? Because it was the thing, it was, it was the concern about the speed thing that that kind of made everyone kind of pause the payments on him. Like you want to pay mm-hmm. it off, like he deserves being the thing, but then you're like, ah, I don't know how fast he's on time and and this and that. Um, the guy for me that I wouldn't say he's a surprise, but I would say I don't know if people have talked about him enough based on how I think he's going to play, and that would be Andrew Booth from Clemson. Okay, I. I and when I look at Andrew Booth, to me, he is as safe as they come on the outlet. And I would liken him to, I don't have the same grade on him as I had on Sertan, but you remember the conversation with Sertan and J.C. Horn and others? Yeah. Like, hey, Sertan, you know exactly what you're getting from a technical standpoint. He can do X, Y, and Z. 
J.C. Horn may give you more juice, more upside or whatever. When I look at Andrew Booth, I know exactly what he is from a technical standpoint. I believe he can play in any system because he can pedal, he can press, he can bail, he can play man or zone. He has good uh, eyes. And then he's a very dependable and reliable tackler. And I think mm -hmm. that is underrated in the game. To me, the conversation, uh, I think, is going to be between do I want to gamble on Derek Stingley and what he was in 2019 as a freshman when he was maybe the best corner in the land? Or do I want the safe and dependable and reliable Andrew Booth, who has a skill set that allows, me to, that allows him to play in any scheme? It just reminded me, um, Stingley's going right now. So I'm uh, – I just actually texted one of my buddies who I think is going to be there just to maybe we'll get some numbers, some good numbers here while we're recording this podcast. Um, yeah, I'm with you on Booth. He's my 30th player, Buck. Mirror and match, quick, fluid, all that stuff. I don't think he's going to be able to run a 40 because of the injury. Um, so you won't have that on him. But, I, you know, he's a first-round corner to me all day long. Um, let, let's, uh, let's keep it moving here. Let's go to the next position that I have here, which is safety. So we'll say, say in the um, – defensive backfield i think we're both uh going to be kyle hamilton as the top safety um, i don't mm -hmm. know we need to go deep into that um you know one of the things with him is people are going to freak out about the the 40 time and all that but your eyes i'd rather i'd rather have excellent eyes and a little bit lesser 40 than to have an unbelievable 40 with poor eyes that's just, yeah. that's me at that position. so it, it's, it's funny right and here here's why you have to keep the times and stuff in perspective, DJ, not after the combine, I wasn't worried. Like when he ran four or five, I was like, okay, whatever, he's safety. Yeah. Uh, when the four, seven thing or whatever came back from the pro day, then I was like, ooh, let me go back and look at tape. <laughs> and what happened, and this is why you always have to go back to the tape, DJ, I fell in love all over again with this game. Mm -hmm. Like this dude is, and this dude is terrific, you know, and, and you watched him. He was on his way to having a bang out year, uh, multiple interception games. And as far as state, like this, this guy was on his way to being everything. He only has eight career interceptions. But when you watch how he's played, I believe in Notre Dame, they left a little meat on the bone in terms of how they could deploy him. Yeah. He is not the same athlete and animal that Derwin James is. However, you see flashes and glimpses of him blitzing where he gets home, but he doesn't get the sack. And I feel like he's been underutilized in terms of being around the box. And so I think he is one of the rare guys that could do both. He could play ornament at the top of his Christmas tree, or you can drop him in the box. And I think there's a value to that, particularly for a defense that may play right and left safeties as opposed to a free and a strong. I just think this guy, I hope he gets with the right coordinator that fully unleashes him. Because mm -hmm. I think he can be a very special player at the next level. Yeah, I, I'm with you. He's my fourth overall player. Let me give you, though, the surprise because we're trying to think of that moment mm -hmm. on draft night where we're like, whoa, wait a second. We've talked about it as much as we like Kyle Hamilton. There's a chance he drifts a little bit because mm -hmm. the position and maybe not the ideal testing you're looking for. So we've kind of talked about him falling out of the top 10, potentially. With Derwin James, we live in a world where Derwin James went 17, so this shouldn't be a shock, right? Crazy. So he could slide down. Here's my here's my my one that I think maybe this could be our surprise on draft day. Daxton Hill yeah. is my he's my 19th player. Yeah. I, I think he can I mean he can play in the nickel. You see him do yeah. it. That's primarily where he was. He can play we talk about at the top of the Christmas tree, be that that true post safety. I think he can play corner. He's got that mm -hmm. type of athleticism and feet. You talk about testing, 6002, so 6 foot 191 pounds, ran 438. So he's my 19th player. Hamilton's my fourth player. It's conceivable that if Hamilton's dropping, and just from where I have him, if teams are maybe even a little bit higher on Hill, we could we could wake up, you know, the day after the first round buck and, and live in a world where Daxton Hill gets picked ahead of Kyle Hamilton. That that would not be out of the realm of possibility. Are you with me on that? I'm with you on that. And this is what I would want to give the 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 listener slash viewer insight on. For years, going back to when we work with teams. We started the conversation that, A, we need to treat the nickel corner as if he's the 12th starter. Yeah. We need to have a place on the board for the nickel corner. And we talked about it, but it never kind of existed. It was kind of the place where you put all the small guys, right? Yeah. All the 5'8", five, 5'9", five, guys, this is the nickel. Well, now, as you see each and every week, and as we're seeing, the nickel corner 
has its own set of responsibilities and attributes that are needed to thrive there. You have teams that have a dedicated nickel coach that only coaches the nickel. Coach Uh, one guy. Because because he has to have some different – he has to play linebackers sometimes. He has to play in the middle. He has to play all those things. Daxton Hill's experience, and I thought what was great on Path to the Draft this week, you you showed where he lined up and Mm -hmm. the various spots that he lined up on the board. I think people need to visualize a guy playing deep middle, nickel, in the box, because as teams are beginning to play 70% of their defense in sub packages, nickel, dime, some combination of the two, you have to have guys that can move around and have the ability to be versatile, play by play, week to week, whatever is needed against the team. Daxton Hill's value, particularly for a defensive-minded coach, his value is going to be high and maybe mm-hmm. much higher than us on the media side recognize. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Daxton Hill come off the board a lot higher than anyone recognized. Like, what? He's a, yeah. You know, he's, he's an one. impact player. He is an impact player. For me, Jaquan Brisker is the one to keep an eye on. Okay. Only in terms of guys love athletes and guys who can move around and guys who can kind of hit and do some other stuff. And he is, and it's it's crazy. And maybe it's the uniform when it comes to Penn State. Penn State has accumulated like this set of athletes. No doubt. No doubt. They they have a, a track team <laughs> that can play. He is an intriguing one. I think you have to have a clear plan for how you want to play him and deploy him. And I don't think he's for everybody's taste, but he has intriguing talent that I would want to kind of cultivate and kind of figure out a way to kind of put him in the mix because he can play. Lewis yeah. Seen, also from Georgia. You talk about someone, if you talk about – He could about, sneak into one. He could get into one. Wouldn't shock it, me. If you still have some of those old school uh, values where you believe that your safety has to be an enforcer, I don't know that there's a more ferocious hitter yeah. than the Georgia kid. Grand four through ab- seven. That's the type of burst and explosions he, he has. He absolutely hits you to knock you to sleep. He, yeah, he, puts, he puts the babies to sleep. He's another one. Yep. Absolutely. I'm with you on those. Um, and Brisker, to me, was better You know, when he's down in that box, covering tight ends, yeah. physical. He can kind of sort through the trash in the run game there. Uh, it's a good safety from Penn State. Um, okay, let's go to defensive tackles are the next one up. So my top defensive tackle is Jordan Davis, who we've talked a lot about with that ridiculous 478. He ran out of Georgia at 341 pounds. We've never seen anything like it. Um, he's in great shape. Um, he's, he's my top guy, kind of a unique player. I guess we probably should have talked about him when we were talking about unicorns the other day on path to the draft. He is, that's a height, weight, speed kind of unicorn, um, with what he is, but the, uh, you know, kind of the surprise, you know, I'll give you my surprise would be, I know we've talked a lot about Devonte Wyatt and I, I don't think that's crazy. He's my second player. He's my 20th player. If he ended up leapfrogging his teammate there, I don't think that would be a huge shock. But my surprise might be a guy like Logan Hall from Houston, who some teams love. Gotcha. If they have a – is that your that's, guy? Yeah, that's, that's what we No, yeah. He's my 50th player, but he could go on the bottom of one. And we've seen it with the with uh, Peyton Turner from Houston. So same school, similar type of a player. Um, I you know To me, he's got that Marcus Davenport-type body. Um, he can do a lot of things. But some teams have, have a very clear vision for him. Like if you play with a five technique um, and you – Teams love him that, that want to deploy him that way. So um, that's one I think could be a surprise. Sounds like we're we're drinking from the same uh, cup there. Yeah, he's one. He's hot, man. He is hot on the streets, man. There's a lot of love for him. Uh, and you're right. It could be the surprise like Peyton Turner was last mm-hmm. year. Like someone, where did he come from? The Hall's versatility, um, his reliability, his, his impact potential. He is one that is certainly um, – in the mix and in the conversation. And let's be honest, man, this defensive tackle class to me is really, really solid from yeah. Wyatt to Travis Jones, like those guys. And really the outlier to me was uh, Trayvon Walker only in terms of like, where do you line him up? Cause I feel like this guy can go in any category. If I had to put his card uh, on the draft board, I would put DL. Cause yeah. he can play anywhere in my, in my estimate, he can play anywhere along the D line. No doubt. Um, all right, let's, uh, let's keep it moving here. Edge. Hutchinson, we both have, right, as a top guy there. I don't mm-hmm. think there's anything um, crazy there. We've talked a bunch about Walker, you know, maybe leapfrogging him. I, it sounds like mm-hmm. Jacksonville. We've talked about that a bunch, being uh, – Conversation, for sure. 
being yeah. torn. You mentioned the Trent Baalke connection with Alden Smith, having taken him and seeing some of those similarities there. Yeah, the traits, the traits, and you just don't, you just don't know um, how they may may go. I think what's interesting, and I had this conversation earlier, um, DJ. The one thing I would say about the pass rushes in this class, um, we don't have what we call extensive resumes of production. Yeah. Meaning, there are a lot of guys who've had one year of double-digit sack production. Hutchinson this year, Jermaine Johnson this year. Kayvon Thibodeau has never reached double digits. Um, and so for, for me, like, I would like to see it over a sustained period. So I feel like this class is good, but I still believe there's a little more projection because it's not the certainty. Like, yeah. And I go back to Miles Garrett, Von Miller. You said there's a lot of talent and that stuff, you know, that, that you can build upon for sure. So give me your surprise. Give me your surprise here. I think, we're in, the be same, the surprise? I think, I think we're in the same camp. I think the kid from Minnesota is the one. Boye Mafe. Mafe. Yeah. I think Boye Mafe, the combination of athleticism and I would just say effort and energy expenditure, he mm-hmm. comes all day after it. He can bend in burst. I had a chance to see him in the bowl game. Like he 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 gets after it. I want to say he had two sacks in the bowl he game. He had two sacks at the senior yeah, bowl. Like yeah. He, yeah, he was coming and just getting, getting off of it. He is one that I, I would keep an eye on. And I know, like it's funny because I have – George Karloftis ahead of him. Yeah. And I think George is, is a rugged edge defender and that stuff. But for, if we're talking about the money and money downs and closing out games, I might lean towards Mafe if I'm, if I'm building the closeout team. Yeah. Can, can we just talk? I want to take a little sidebar discussion here because I've worked for teams that have done this both ways. And I, I don't, I'm curious to see if you have as well. Um, there's two types of fronts. Okay, A lot of people focus on a three-man front or a four-man front, even odd fronts, mm-hmm. right? To me, when you look at it, especially when you watch the game today, you see there's two styles of defensive line play in this league right now. There is a read front and there is an attack front. <laughs> We're going. And, and, and th- you know, look, and I was around Jim Washburn, who's kind of, you know, he's the wide nine guru, the wide nine king, mm-hmm. which is you're going to split your ends out wide. And we are in attack mode. He used to say in our draft meetings, read is a four-letter word. Like we we are not sitting and stacking blocks and playing at the line of scrimmage. We are going to get to the football as fast as we can, and we're going to create a mess and a car crash on the way there. Yeah. And I think a guy – the reason why I say this is because if you watched Mafe play at Minnesota, there are times where I thought, especially because he doesn't have a ton of experience, there were times I think he was bogged down. You know, he's trying to think, am I, am I pinching? Am yeah, I doing yeah, this? Am I playing yeah, inside? Yeah, am I stacked yeah. inside? And then he went to the senior bowl, and I believe he was with the Jets, if I'm not mistaken. And they which the going. Jets, the Jets come from, Sala comes from San Francisco. San Francisco's D-line coach, uh, Chris, Chris Kasurik. Yeah. Who did Chris Kasurik learn under? Who's his mentor? Jim Why? Washburn. Yeah. So this is that's what the Jets do. Clear your mind. Just let's we're gonna put our hand in the ground and we are going to rock. Like that is it. You are getting off the ball and go. And uh and I think you saw him turn into a different player down there. So I think it depending on what type of a front you are, what you're asking your guys to do, you're gonna see those attack fronts, they're gonna love Boye Mafe. Um, I think that even a guy like Nick Benito, they're gonna love. Oh, yeah. Don't worry about it. Just just get off the ball and go. Um, and then I think those teams might not be as high on Karloftis, who, like you said, is a little more rugged, not quite as dynamic, um, but somebody who could hold the point of attack and do those things if you wanted. You know, maybe more of a read front team might be a little bit higher on Karloftis than others. So I think that's an important factor when you're trying to figure out, you know, who's going to go and who's going to maybe drop a little bit in this draft. It depends on it does, what, you, it what does, you're looking for. It does matter because stylistically, there are differences between the guys. And uh, you talk about it, and I'm glad you, you took time to to explain it because there is that, DJ, I play, uh, play with teams, been around teams where your best pass rushers, hey, man, it ain't a whole lot of thinking. It's yeah. reacting. It's instinctive. It's an artistry to it, you know. There's a plan, but it is going, 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 mm-hmm. going, going. And you have to do it. The guys who are read and react are more the rugged power players and stuff like that. And so, yeah, Mafe and Nick Benil, those guys that can go in the right front, particularly with more teams. And we talked about playing sub packages where we're putting a two down lineman, four stand up guys kind of yeah. floating around and doing these funny, exotic fronts where you're just trying to hit with pressure everywhere. 
Yeah, those athletes, those explosive athletes, they go to the front of the line. Yeah, so it's something just to keep an eye on. I would say my kind of surprise would be uh, Eba Katie from Penn State. Oh, he's, he's my 36 player. He's in my he's in my and we'll get to the other positions as well. When I look at my list and, and you you know when you have this stuff, you're looking at it every single day. And we talked about it. Remember Jalen Hurts year? I said, yeah. Buck, I got this feeling about him. Like I'm too low on him. Like I I and then at the last update. I was like, yeah, you know you what? I moved in. him up. I put him in my you top in. fifty at the yeah, very end. Yeah. And while the, the look, the jury's still out on him. Jalen Hurts has shown some promise, and there's a you know having him. No in matter the top what, he's 50, been a starting. He's been a starting quarterback yeah. in the league, and that that's the thing. When you put someone in the top fifty, meaning that they're gonna go in the first two rounds, the, the second round is a individual starter, whatever that looks like. He has started games in this league, which makes the evaluation kind of like right on point, and that's how you have to view it. Like whether we like him personally in terms of like what I want that as my starting quarterback is not necessarily that is this guy projects to be a starter in the league and he's been a starter in this league yeah so but Ebicati's kind of one of those guys for me I look at him he's my 36 guy and we'll see I'll do my I think I have at least one more I think maybe just one more update which will be right before the draft he's 36 I started him out in the 20s I I got he didn't have a huge senior bowl so I pulled him down a little bit I've since moved him back he's 36 He's going to probably make his way in my top 32 players because I just I read him. And when you read your notes and you're like, what the heck am I doing, man? Move him up. He reads too good. Um, OK, let's go to uh, I, I think we can skip over fullbacks. I don't think anybody, you know, I like yeah. Connor Hayward. I like Jeremiah Hall, but uh, we'll move on there. Let's go interior offensive lineman. OK, um, who is your top interior offensive lineman? And, uh, you know, what could be a surprise here? What do you think? Okay, so my top interior offensive lineman is Green, Kenyon Green from Texas A&M. Okay, um, same. And, and I'm going to DJ, when, when I look at his tape, like if I feel like I need a little pep in my step and I just want to be – this dude is one of the best I've seen in a pin and pull scheme. Like mm-hmm. he is a pull master. You want to skip and pull and come around the edge and just absolutely obliterate an unsuspecting defensive tackle at the end. That's your That's guy. guy. <laughs> I mean, he comes – he comes – hard and when he comes he comes with bad intentions so to me he is he is the guy i mean strength power explosiveness i mean he's just a monster in the run game um, no. there are a bunch of guys in this class that i think can play bully ball at the line of scrimmage he's at the front of the line okay i'm uh i'm with you on that one uh he's my top guy as well the fact he's played four spots i love that as well my surprise here's my surprise um i have it Kenyon green linderbaum zion johnson is my top three interior guys here's my surprise Cam Jurgens yeah, went yeah. ahead of Tyler Linderbaum. I would not be shocked. And I love Linderbaum. Like mm-hmm. Jurgens is not in my top 50. He's right on the cusp. His tape is good. He him and Linderbaum both have issues when they get some size over their nose. Yeah. But but Jurgens is longer than Linderbaum. He's more explosive and dynamic. He ran 492, tested out of his mind. Yeah. Um, he they both play with that the temperament that you want. I'm just telling you that that would not be surprising to me. And I'm thinking probably early too. And we see centers a lot of times kind of drift a little bit. If Jurgens went just ahead of Linderbaum top of the second round, it wouldn't shock me. So it's funny. I like the the note, the writer, I'm reading the writer that I have in my top five. Uh his sensational workouts have brought him into the conversations, one of the top pivots in the day. <laughs> Ultra like the combination of balance, body control, and power can make him scheme friendly. Could yeah. make him a guy that you want to put in. We talk about like, hey, if they dropped a 330-pounder over his head, like, hey, it could be an issue. But also, if you let them in in an offense where we talk about elephants on parade and we're moving, we're snapping and we're moving and everyone is going to the right and to the left laterally in unison, he's one of the guys. And I want people to understand the draft is a bit of a beauty patch. And yeah. so when you stack them up there and if the grades are close enough and we start talking about the length and we start talking about the athleticism that we saw at the combine and then you know what we do and he's healthy too right let's put the profile tape up let's watch this combine versus that combine let's watch hey you know i don't know like it might be close enough where you have that conversation and you can make the decision that hey you know what i'll get this guy in the first round i'll come back and get jurgens as my guy at the pivot in the second round yeah that conversation is going to be real yeah, no, it's it's interesting. Again, he's healthy. That that you know, Linderbaum not being healthy through this whole process, maybe that impacts that as well. Um, all right, let's take a quick break. We're going to come back and knock out the rest of these positions. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring. 
your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Okay, Buck, we're going linebacker next. Um, Devin Lloyd is my top off-the-ball linebacker. Is that is that where you are as well? Oh, Who do you have? Yeah, yeah. that's what I got. Devin Lloyd, man. I just – I love him. And, DJ, like, we're privy because we get a chance to talk to these guys. Having a chance to sit down with him at the combine, uh, he's great. Love his IQ, love his temperament, kind of love his blue-collar demeanor. I think the guy that he is at Utah is going to be the same guy that shows up wherever he goes. He's going to continue to be like that. And the versatility that he brings, being able to sack the quarterback off the edge, being able to slip through cracks as a sideline to sideline defender, being able to drop on coverage and get his hands on the ball and to make interceptions. Guys who make plays continue to make plays, and he is a playmaker. And so I just – Man, I just I just love what he brings um, as an off-the-ball linebacker. Yeah, and I think the surprise, I think we're probably going to be saying the same thing here. I, I always laugh. With, like, Quay Walker's my 33rd player. He's mm-hmm. been in my top 50 from the jump. I might think I had him in the 20s earlier, but he's never left that area. He's my 33rd overall dude. And uh, now it's like, this could be the shocker of all shockers. Like, Quay Walker could go in the first round. I'm like, nah, he's so, been in that. He's yeah, been he's there. Been like, this is not a shocker. But yeah. if he ended up going over to Kobe Dean, that wouldn't stun me. I mean, he's gosh, he's Man. freaking four inches taller and twenty pounds heavier, and he's faster. But I, I mean, you're talking about Kobe Dean's my thirteenth player. Quay Walker's my thirty third player. So I'm gonna stick with the tape, and I'm gonna, mm-hmm. I'm gonna, I try and block out a little bit of everybody's obsession with measurables and say I just think he's same field, same defense. Who was more impactful in every game I watched? It was Kobe Dean. So I'm gonna yeah. stick with that. Yeah, Nicobe Dean um, is very impactful. And there are a couple of things that, that work against him this time of year because the farther we get away from ball, yeah, the more it hurts him. Because when you see him, and he's not an imposing figure, despite all the stuff that we see on tape where he is a Tasmanian devil making plays everywhere, we can talk about the IQ and how he settled everyone down. He's the leader in those things. There's still something when you look at Quay Walker and some of those other guys. Was it Tyndall? Like, yeah, Channing Tyndall. Channing Tyndall. Like, they just look like, I mean, when we talk about, hey, man, let's go get the mannequin and build a linebacker. Those guys yeah. look like the mannequin. Nicobe yep. Dean doesn't. And so sometimes that can kind of sway you. Dean is a good player, but that size and length for some teams, it won't be there. And so that's why it's really hard. Like, when we do those things, like we put perfect fit or, or, or yeah. doing kind of these pseudo mocks on TV and you're like, Hey, let's put this guy with this team. You're like, Hey, look, man, where the first round is like, I don't know if the Patriots like a smaller linebacker that traditionally hasn't been their thing. You know, the teams that need linebackers aren't necessarily in the first round in terms of the ones that I think he has more value to. And so it's that funny thing where despite of his, despite his talent, it may not be a a spot for him where we deem him to go in the first round. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that one. Um, let's get to offensive tackle. Um, I've got Icky. Do you have Icky or Neil? I still have Neil at the top. Okay. And But I'm leaning towards eventually making that work. No, I actually have Icky at the top. I'm looking at my thing. Okay. I, thought I, yeah. I thought I hadn't switched it yet, but I have yeah. Icky one, Neil two. Okay. And this is funny, DJ, but this goes back to an old thing in scouting. I had a one of my mentors say, like, grade the flashes. Mm-hmm. Like, we can talk about the consistency, but grade them at their highest moments, too, and make sure those highest moments stick out. And so I know it's the clip that we continue to play over and over on network. But, DJ, when you see him do some of that nasty stuff, and I'm not talking about the excessive stuff that we've seen some guys who've earned a reputation for being, like, hard-nosed, but him on the move, yeah. mauling defensive backs down the field, like, rooting them from the ground and sending them flying through the air. There's something to it. His athleticism, his nastiness and talking to him. Um, you know, when you have those one-on-ones with prospects, now this is what your scout had on and you kind of talk to him, but you can kind of sense that trigger 
where they have kind of like that dark, that dark <laughs> side of it. Yeah. He has some of that. And I just think, man, in the right environment, man, he would crush it. Like he, there's no way that he can go there. But I only envision, imagine if Iki Kwanu played for the Baltimore Ravens in the way that they play, mm-hmm. where he can just put, knuck, he can be white knuckled in the ground and I'm just coming and going. Yeah. I just see him with a team and a coach that is like, hey, man, we're going to eliminate all this thing. We just want you to come off and just absolutely obliterate the guy for four quarters. Just mm-hmm. hit him with a, an assault. I think he has that. But I also think that he has the athleticism and the potential that if you can refine some of his technique, particularly in pass pro, I mean, you're talking about a guy that rings it all up in terms of being one of the top three that we talk about at the position going forward. Yeah. Um, uh I'm curious on him. He's got, you know, to me, he's kind of a, he's a two hand puncher. So he's my top guy, but a lot of two hand punch stuff. And so sometimes he gets over his skis a little bit and that led to some balance issues there with Icky um, times he oversets as well. But I think those are correctable. I would, the only thing I'll push back on the grade in the flashes is that was what I did with Greg Robinson when he was coming out of Auburn. Yeah. Now his, as we've definitely learned over time, um, his was makeup related, I think, why he kind of busted out more than anything else. Mm-hmm. But he had some of those same third level blocks with the athleticism. He wasn't good at the boring stuff. You know, they didn't, it was, uh, I think it was the Malzahn years or whatever. So it wasn't mm-hmm. a lot of traditional pass sets with him. And uh, and so he struggled with that. I, I think Icky is way further along in terms of pass protection, some stuff to clean up. But that would be the only pushback buck I would have mm-hmm. on that is that sometimes some of those flashes, you got to be good at the boring stuff too. Oh, you got to be really good at the boring stuff. You got to be good at the boring stuff. And, and it's funny, you know, because you go back and forth because my, my normal, like my normal approach is a, I just want to hit it in a gap. I'll take yeah. a stand up double. We're good. But then you see this guy who is just, I mean, maybe a spring training. Maybe I've seen too many spring training games. I saw that the Dodgers shut out the angels. Whatever, <laughs> spring training, So maybe I got really excited. Um, but looking at, looking at, you know, Freddie Freeman come around the corner. I'm like, you know, it's okay. Like sometimes you hit a home run. So Icky yeah. and yeah. some of that stuff, but yeah, no, you're right. You have to be cautious about that. And that's why it's really important. If you told me if I could scout the room and yeah. you tell me who is going to coach, it, no doubt, then, then I could feel better about that. And sometimes the little secret, when you're the general manager, you have to look in your room and say, got to know what you got. Who's my coach. Yeah. Uh, yeah. and and for those that don't know this is this is not like this is not a theory this is a fact we've both been there and we've been in rooms when you know the the first round of meetings the coaches are not in the room and i've been on teams i can remember uh one year at one point in time uh it was a receiver and we had a conversation like look if this was you know if this was a corner we could take this guy because he's got all these tools but he's not ready. And we just had more confidence at that time in our corners coach and our DBs coach than we did in our wide receiver coach. Now you gotta be careful. You don't want to say that around your coaches. You don't want that getting out there. You maybe don't have faith, but some coaches are just better at developing players. You got to know your coaches before you pick your players because uh, developmental guys, you might not have, you know, the right people in place to help that. Now that begs the question of, well, crap, why don't you go get a different coach then? Um, that could help develop guys, but you've got head coaches that have power and they have their guys that they bring in. You got to know them. So I, I think that's a great point that you bring up. Is there any surprise coming uh, with the tackles, Buck? Uh, I don't know. You know, the guy that I'm waiting on, like we, we talk, but we don't talk about like the Charles Cross yeah. thing. And, and DJ, here's the thing. I really like him. I love the, the, the technical stuff, but you know who, what scares me is like, the way that we felt about Dillard. That's my that's my problem. I had a talk with the GM about this the other day. He's like, you, you're down cross. I'm like, man, I got a Dillard wound in there somewhere. Yeah. He's like, oh, Come, you can't blame him for Dillard. I'm like, I know, but, but there's it's, it's the same system, same coach. There. And so yeah. unfortunately, you're like, okay, I love what he does in pass pro, but is he going to be physical enough or whatever? And I know it sounds crazy because we're talking about the SEC. He had to hold up in Mississippi State. He had to deal with some, some animals. In the, but I – I do. I can't. I can't help it. Like, yeah, it's in the back of your mind, you know. Yeah, I can't help it. But I think. I think he's really good. And then you know the the, the Trevor Penning thing. The only thing I would say that I love what he's tried to create in terms of like the demeanor and the toughness and that stuff. I just 
I don't want fake gym rats. Yeah. If that if that matters. I don't want, you know, I just needed to be I, if that's who you are, I need it to be really, really who you are. But I don't yeah. want you to put on. I felt like some of that stuff that we saw in Seymour was a little, a little extra. Yeah, a little put on. You go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower... 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Um, all right, quarterbacks. We've talked so much about quarterbacks. I don't think we need to spend a lot of time here. Um, but I would say, you know, I have Kenny Pickett. I think you do too, right? Kenny Pickett is a top guy. I have Willis right behind him. My surprise, and this is my guy this year, where, you know, I talked about with Jalen Hurts, and uh, and I said, you know, I'm looking at him, I'm reading the notes, and I see where I have him. I'm I readily admit I'm late to the party in terms mm -hmm. of trying to get him up, and everything that I hear about Desmond Ritter in terms yeah. of how he's met mm -hmm. with teams and how mm -hmm. mature is the word that comes up over and over mm -hmm. and over again with him. And he's Good. a pro. And now, look, he's got some mechanical stuff I don't love. The accuracy is inconsistent. I don't love that. But when you've got you when you've got size, you've got enough arm. You're a really good athlete, and you're a great kid, and you've been really, really impressive in the room. I got to move him up, man. And so that's that's kind of the guy I think that I need to to get in the mix. I tweeted out yesterday or the day before that mm -hmm. one of the GMs I talked to said he wouldn't be shocked if we saw you know, Ritter come off the board in the middle of the first round, and he kind of identified the Saints having those two ones, and maybe that could be a potentially yeah. landing spot there for him. But apparently he's just crushed He's crushed this interview process, and, and so, teams have really fallen in love with him. Okay, so look, it's not about us getting it right early in the process, but everything that I've written down, everything that I have in my notes, DJ, I've really fallen in love with the guy, but what I haven't done, is I've been a coward, right? I, I've been a coward in terms of like really elevating him to how much I feel for him. So my words say, Ritt has been flying under the radar, but his experience and explosiveness makes him an attractive option as a QB1. Following a strong showing at the Senior Bowl and the Combine, he could be a surprise starter early in his career, all right? So then you go back and you research when we talk about quarterbacks and even using the old Parcells thing about experience leads to expertise or whatever. He has 44 career wins, not starts, wins. You then go back and you look at, okay, let's see, because we always talk about quarterbacks elevating the program. So this is a group of five team that made its way to the playoff, the college football playoff. Now, it's not all because of him, because there are a bunch of good players on that Cincinnati team. But he's had to play on a big stage, and he's had to do a lot of stuff. Yeah. And so he's not this player. But you made up the Marcus Mariota thing. But I'll take it. You remember when Russell Wilson was coming out? And you remember how Russell Wilson just kind of like, hey, he just kind of drove the car and you kind of had an appreciation for this. And he goes yeah. to Wisconsin and he does that. The maturity and stuff that you that you talk about, that's why I'm like, man, you know, if I'm Seattle and I kind of want to replace the set, like Desmond Ritter could be that kind of thing because the athleticism, and I can see a bunch of teams saying, I kind of get the best of both worlds. Yeah. I get a guy who has managerial uh, traits in terms of his demeanor and maturity, but he still kind of has like a playmaker's athleticism to his game that he might be more. And so the Dak Prescott thing I think is comparable too because I felt like Dak Prescott was very similar to that when he was coming out of Mississippi State. Yeah, no, so keep an eye on him. Uh, Ritter is definitely – um, I think I even said it before my last top 50 and then I just kind of look at it and I look at my grade and I'm like, man, my grade doesn't really put him up there. But sometimes you got to kind of fill in the rest of the picture. You know, you got to look at it and say, man, it's not all there right now, but you're going to buy, as we always say, won't buy the player, buy the mm -hmm. kid more so than the player right now and say, okay, I believe in the person. And then, uh, and then we'll see if it all comes together. Um, so anyways, Ritter's that, that guy, uh, running backs, Brees Hall is my top guy, followed by Kenneth Walker. I think those 
to me, there's a big gap after those two. I think those are the top two guys, and then there's a yeah, big spread. Think, How about I you? A, I think it's a huge gap. Um, if we talk about running backs going to top 45, I think those are the two. I think those other guys come after that. For my for my money, Brees Hall, Kendall Walker, I think it comes down to style. Brees mm-hmm. Hall, to me, is over top of Kendall Walker because of the passing game contributions. I feel like he is a, a, a valuable threat in the passing game. I feel like, and we said this about Leonard Fournette when he's coming out, there's a difference between being kind of a playmaker in the pass game and a check down option. Yeah. To me, until I see more from Kenneth Walker, I see him more as a check down receiver yeah. as opposed to a playmaking receiver. Yeah. Damian uh, Harris was my comparison for Kenneth Walker. And I think he's going to go higher than him, faster than him. Gosh, we're in 4 3 8. To my Damian Harris. Uh, Come out of Alabama. Alabama, yeah, good player. Yeah. Who's been a good player for the Patriots? But yeah. uh, he needs, he's got more juice. But uh, those to me, I don't really. I mean, I know we're kind of theming here about surprises. I don't, I don't have a surprise in this running back I don't, group. Yeah, no, nah, I think. I mean, I think there's some good players, and maybe someone emerged. But I don't think anybody's going to go vaulting up there nah. that we're not talking about. Um, let's keep it rolling, and let's go to the tight ends. Um, I, you know, I don't have any tight ends in my top fifty at this point in time. To be honest with you, I still got to go through and sort this group out. Um, yeah, it's I, tough, man, because. Um, don't love any of them to be honest. I like them. I don't love any of them. Like it's weird because I got Jalen Widemeyer, Trey McBride, Great Dust. Like they're all Buck, like, Buck Widemeyer might not get picked. I know he ran like five flat. He's oh, I know, I know, I know, I know. He's master the post corner though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, that's all he runs. He dropped his drop. Well, here was my note on him. I'm not trying to kill him, but I, I I do this thing with tight ends where I go through and I look up explosives and then I look up drops. So you want to see what the ratio is of explosive plays to drops. So it can't be one you know, to one. It so like one the Indiana, like the Indiana kid, just off the top of my head, I think he had seventeen to one. Like he had seventeen explosives and like one drop. Um, Jalen Wiedemeyer had fourteen explosives and eight drops. That's not a good ratio. It's not good. So um, yeah, he's he's fallen, but I don't know that he's yeah he's gonna have a weight, but. Uh, Dulcich to me, I, I know he ran four six nine. I thought he played much faster than that. Um, so he's still kind of my favorite guy of the group. But uh, I was pleasantly surprised when uh, Trey McBride ran in the low four fives. I did not see that on tape. Uh, he's a true wide tight end and can block and um, he is. catches he, everything. Mean, so. I think he's going to end up being the first one off. Yeah, the board. I think you're probably right. But, you, but you're right. I don't think I don't know if he's going to be a guy that we talk about like really really early and that stuff is just. It's one of those things. And, you know, like there are other guys in there, but. I mean, Jelani right. Woods is a traits guy. We've talked about this. this is a traits position. When you look at it historically, throw the production out because some of these offenses just force feed these guys the ball. Um, but George Kittle is the first example of that. Just bet the traits at this position. You know, big, fast, explosive, change of direction stuff. Um, even though he's a little bit inconsistent. He, Jelani Woods had six drops, but he's 253 pounds, ran 461. All his stuff was really good. So, yeah. Uh, He'd be one I'd say keep an eye on. Let, let's uh, let's get to the last position here. I know we've kind of had a little bit of a longer pod today, but hopefully you guys are are hanging with us here. Uh, wideouts, Garrett Wilson is my top one, followed by Drake London. But my surprise would be, and I think our buddy Peter Schrager is going to be all over this and texting with him. He's been talking about this a little bit. Um, Jamison Williams, if Jamison Williams, when it was all said and done, we come full circle, he ends up being the first receiver off the board. Would you be surprised? No, I wouldn't be surprised. I think the only thing you want to do is go um, full circle. And since we're talking about Jamison Williams, let me give a full shout out to his dad. who bumped to me at the JW Marriott at the combine. Oh, nice. He said, Mr. Brooks, I I need to holler at you. I need to to understand why my son isn't number one. And I was (laughs) like, oh, it's the injury day. He said, you shouldn't worry about that. He is going to be everything that everyone has talked about him. And I was like, okay. And I was like, um, Mr. Williams, what's your name? He's like James. That's why he's called James Son. <laughs> like, that is like, fantastic. So I was like, okay. Yeah. yeah. So have fun. But no, like I think the clips that we've seen um from Jameson doing his workouts, um, just showing the prognosis. I think if you're a team, particularly if you're a team with two number ones or your team has a luxury pick, or you have the option of not having to rush him back onto the field, Yeah, I think you sock him away and take your time. I don't think you need to rush to get him back because the talent the talent is there. I mean, he's mm-hmm. a big-time player. And I think the growth that he displayed going from Ohio State to Alabama, to me, DJ, that's that's something because he, he clearly established himself 
at Alabama and took over, and he was on his way to a big day, mm-hmm. to a big day before he got hurt. Yeah, no, no doubt. Um, so that one would be kind of the surprise there. Um, nothing else really jumps out to me. And we've talked about all these other guys. Like Sky Moore is my 44th player. If he went in the late 20s, you know, that's not a shock. No. Christian Watson's 45. I think he probably goes early too. Um, you know, George Pickens would be the name I'd keep an eye on. Um, yeah, because he was coming, coming off, off the injury. ACL, but he's, he's got a ton injury, of ability. Yeah. Um, you know, he's he's somebody that has got a wide range. If George Pickens went, you know, early two or maybe snuck into late one, or if he went in the middle of the third round, I think it's all on play. I think all that's possible. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think he's he's one of those guys that just want to keep him just want to keep him out because he he does have big time ability. We saw flashes. He even yeah. jumped in the championship game and got over the top and. You know, for a guy that was kind of still dealing with the, the knee injury and the, the lingering after effects, he'll be much better in his first season as a pro because he's fully recovered and ready. Yep, no doubt. Um, all right, that's going to do it for us today. I hope you guys have appreciated this one, had fun with us. Uh, kind of cool just to go by those positions and find, uh, you know, where the surprises might be coming from. Um, again, I was I'm waiting on uh, on a uh, on a time here. I saw 437. That's what uh, hit Twitter, but I don't know if that's just with James Palmer put out yeah for Derek Stingley oh what was it what was the time four three seven okay yeah plenty fast enough um, <laughs> yeah, yeah that was a wake up oh now let's have the conversation back about Derek Stingley go back <laughs> like, yeah like, like that. the conversation goes all the way back like yeah there you go all year oh here you know go. he struggled this and that oh he ran four three seven he's yeah. how big oh yeah here we go let's have a conversation here we go um in the mix all right, man. Well, this was uh, this was a fun one. Uh, we'll see where we go from here to the draft, but uh, it's a fun time of year. Hope you guys, again, have enjoyed it. Le- leave us a, a review, if you don't mind, on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate those. Drop some questions in there if you have them. We'll see if we can get to those here before the draft. Uh, that's going to do it for us. He's Bucky Brooks. I'm DJ. We'll see you next time right here on Move the Sticks. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.